Well, good evening and welcome back and thank you for coming back. Long weekend, hard weekend for a lot of our folks and glad you took the time and effort to come back and be with us as we study a portion of the word tonight. No handout tonight, but I am going to ask or give you a few scriptures in a moment that I would rather you write in your own Bible somewhere in the back where you can remember them. They might come in handy sometime, but uh, no handout. read a book recently. I'd heard about it for a long time, but finally got around to picking it up and reading it. Uh, any, have any of you read A Muscle and a Shovel? Got two or three that admit to it. Four, five, six, seven. Okay, very good. Uh, a few of you. Uh, I'd recommend that the rest of you read it. It's, this is not going to be a book report this evening, but uh, when I read it, it did stir some thoughts, and I thought I'll talk about some of that sometime and maybe encourage a few folks to read it. Uh, the gist of the book is that a New Testament Christian, I'm not going to give you any spoilers here. I'll leave out anything you might mess it up for you, but uh, a New Testament Christian in the book uh, basically confronts a, a nominal Christian that thinks he's doing everything fine and going to heaven and all that and begins to ask him some questions and uh, he catches his interest. Uh, the young man actually is the one that wrote the book, and it's uh, written as true. He says he recorded things as it went and uh, wrote it all down and tells the story in a very interesting way. But anyhow, this fellow catches this other young fellow's attention and uh, asks him questions and prods him into studying with him, and he upsets the guy part of the time, and uh, the guy can't believe what he's hearing part of the time, but the Christian always backs it up with Scripture, always takes him to Scripture, and over the course of the book, he introduces him to the, the, the truth of the gospel. Very interesting process and the way he does it. Uh, it's worth reading, like I said. If I was competent enough to write it, I would probably do a few things different, but uh, in general, it's very, very well written. Uh, the reason and the logic and the reasoning and examples that the fellow uses are really good and would be helpful for many of you in your own study or studying with someone else. Uh, so tonight, I just want to share some of the thoughts that that book stirred as I uh, read it and the first thing that occurred to me is it is so unpopular right now or in, not politically correct or just not the spirit of this age to actually study and figure out what the Bible says. Uh, I will give away this, which is a little bit of a spoiler because he doesn't tell what the title means to about the middle of the book, but... What occurs to him is that he's learning the truth of the gospel, but it takes a little bit of muscle, and it takes a shovel. you got to dig a little bit. Uh, we kind of talk about it easily, that, well, if you just open the Bible, the truth is there. Well, it's clouded with so many other things in this world that it's not that easy. Uh, and this guy figures that out, that by using a little muscle and digging a little bit and actually reading, uh, he's learning the truth. Okay. Uh, that's not in style these days. 
not many people want to do that anymore. Uh, I saw some headline the other day. I think taking to read the story, but it was something about college kids can't read a whole book anymore. Uh, they struggle to read a whole book. So that's not the spirit of this age, is to dig and learn and try to find the truth in things. Uh, but even more than that, what's not in style is to say that there is a truth. That there is one thing that's right. It's much more popular to say, well, everybody's right. You know, as long as it's okay for you, that's good. And we've talked a lot about that when we've talked about culture and all that. I found one quote uh, a while back that I wrote down. It's actually an older quote. It was during a Billy Graham crusade, but uh, it, I think it's the spirit of this age. Uh, the report said that after this Billy Graham crusade in a big city, uh, this letter was written to the newspaper. It said, uh, I am sick of the type of religion that insists that my soul needs saving, whatever that means. I've never felt that I was lost. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance, that teaches of goodness and not sin. If in order to save my soul I must accept such a philosophy as I heard preached, I prefer to remain forever damned. Well, that's more the spirit of this age. Don't tell me there's one answer. Don't tell me what I think is wrong. I, I like it. I'm happy with what I think. I'm doing fine, and don't tell me different. So uh, that's what the theory of this book or the truth of this book kind of has to combat in this world. And if you read it, to think that you're going to stop anybody on the street and say, hey, let's study the Bible. I know how to lead you to the truth. he got a lot of big barriers to get through. But this guy, he caught his attention, he got interested, and he started digging, and it worked. Uh, so anyhow, that's kind of the opening thoughts that I had. Uh, what people think about being saved or not feeling lost or going to heaven, those are all over the place. I mean, the biggest is probably, just like that guy in the letter said, I don't feel lost. I've got a feeling that I'm okay. Well, where'd you get that feeling? And are feelings reliable? And the guy in the book leads the fellow through that. Uh, some people say, well, I made a decision. And they've been told that that's all it takes. It, that's a very popular form of uh, Christianity these days. Is just make a decision. Decide for Christ. It may go on to accept him into your heart or ask him to come into your heart or something like that. But make a decision. And I made that one day, so that's okay. Well, if you dig and study a little bit, you find out different things. But most people are comfortable with that. Uh, some people are comfortable just having a religion. They dress up and go to the right place and sing and put a little money in the plate and do the thing on Sunday. Yeah. The other six days and 23 hours, they don't really change anything, but they, they've got a religion. 
Maybe it was their folks' religion, or maybe it's just one that they've picked that I, I like this church because of so-and-so. Uh, some people being a part of the right group, you know, the one they grew up in or the one that has con- convinced them that this is the right group that will get you to heaven, they, they're content with that. And so there's all kinds of things that people trust and reason around about and think that or feel that this is the right thing. And the guy in this book pretty well deals with all of them. He runs through every option that this guy he's dealing with has. And the guy that's digging goes and asks other preachers and he goes to other denominations and, and all of that. It's very interesting how he asks, how did I get to heaven? He gets all kinds of answers. Uh, so, having said all of that, uh, what the book gets around to is the truth of the gospel. And the, the verses I want you to write down are not from the book. I'm sure they're in the book, but I didn't specifically take them out of the book. They're just things that I thought that you know we need to reason through before we accept a feeling or a decision or something else. Uh, feelings and uh, decision and believing what people tell us, that's not adequate. Uh, Not reliable. I read a great story one time that I think I used in a sermon a number of years ago. You may may remember it, but a true story in 1987, as I remember, in Uganda, uh, there were a bunch of rebels fighting against the government and trying to overthrow the government. And uh, this one group of rebels that were part of a kind of small little religious uh, cult, I forget what it was called, I got it written down here somewhere, the the Holy Spirit Movement, that was it. Uh, They were members of that, and it was led by a witch doctor, female witch doctor there, and she was trying to organize them against the government. So they went to attack this army post. There were a couple hundred of them. And they marched up to this army post completely confident that they were going to overthrow it. They didn't have any shirts on. They had their pants rolled up. And they were carrying rocks to throw against the army. And the other thing was they were completely covered in oil. And they marched up to this army post. They were going to take the army post. Well, obviously, hundreds of them died, and the rest of them were captured, and some of them ran away, but uh, it was a total fiasco disaster. Well, one of the captives was named Oboni, and the army asked him about this bizarre event. Uh, wanted to know what they thought they were doing. You know, it's a little odd to march up on an army post with half-naked and covered in oil and throwing rocks. So what he explained to them was that their witch doctor, uh, Alice Lakwina was her name, she had convinced them that she had magic oil that would protect them. And if she smeared that on them, uh, the bullets couldn't hurt them, and that the rocks that they threw would explode like grenades when they threw them at the army. They took the oil smearing, they got their 
rocks and they marched toward the airstrip and we're going to take the army post. Um, you can't fault them for a lack of sincerity. That was a sincere bunch. I mean, you know, you walk in half naked toward an army throwing rocks, you got to be pretty well convinced <laughs> that this is going to work. It sounds a little crazy to us, but it was sincere. Uh, but they were wrong. They were, they were dead wrong. And the Bible's got stories like that. Paul was absolutely sincere. He said, it was all good conscience. I thought I was right. Okay? But he found out he wasn't when he talked to Jesus. And uh, so we've got so many people that we'll run into that feel this or have been told this or grew up this way. And taking them to the Word is hard, but it's the only answer. It, feelings aren't reliable. So the, the verses I want to share with you to kind of think through this process that I have in mind. is Let's go to Ephesians 2 first. Got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to make a conclusion about something this passage said. All right, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised, up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And great passage, fantastic book, fantastic chapter. We could study that for ages, but let's just condense that down, read through that, and decide what Paul says about the condition of mankind. Where is mankind? And what he says is, mankind falls into two distinct camps. They are either dead in sin, or they're alive in Christ. That's the two options. Either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. Now, we're not worrying about yet how we get there or how you get in one or the other. We're just saying, Paul says that's it. All of mankind is either dead in sin or alive in Christ. 
And of course, he's talking eternally, spiritually, uh, all of that. Everybody that he's talking to that can read and hear is alive physically, but he's talking about spiritual condition. He says people are either alive in Christ or they're dead in sin. That's, that's the two options. Now, I already told you that's not politically correct, <laughs> but that's what the Bible says. Okay. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Actually, you probably don't need to go over there. If I ask you what Jesus said about gates and highways, you'd know what he said, wouldn't you? Matthew chapter 7, 13, 14, right in there. He said, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. One of them leads to destruction and one of them leads to salvation. Life. Narrow, wide. Two ways, two highways, two gates. And they lead to death or life. Okay, Paul said you're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. Jesus said there's two ways to go in life. You go to death or you go toward life. Starting to see a little pattern here? <laughs> this is what the Bible says. It's a hard truth. It's not a popular truth. But if you keep coming back to that, like this fellow in the book did, it kind of focuses your thinking. All right, let's look at one more passage. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 6. Most of you probably know that one also. Jesus answered and said, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's really politically incorrect. That's not good at all in this world. Uh, That's why Christianity gets picked on so much. Because it says there's one way. So, either dead in sin or alive in Christ, there's two ways to go in life. And Jesus says he is... The way, the only way. You don't get to the Father any other way. Now, all of that would just be kind of interesting if you were studying theology and thinking about comparative religions and and all of that, but this has some consequences. It's got some eternal consequences. So the last verse I want you to write down is Revelation 20. Talked about Revelation the last couple of weeks and know that it's symbolic and all that, but the truth that's in this picture, however symbolic it might be, still teaches a very basic fact. Revelation 20, we'll start at verse 11. And John is seeing this vision of the defeat of Satan and all that, and then he sees a great white throne. And he tells the gist of what's going to happen at this throne. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. 
and sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The eternal consequence of what we've talked about so far, you're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. There's two ways to go in life, and you're supposed to pick the narrow way that leads to life. Jesus said, I am the only way. And then when we get to judgment, there's a... Symbolic book, I think. I don't think he's got a real book. He can if he wants to. But there's a symbolic, figurative list of everybody who's what? Alive in Christ. And if they're not alive in Christ, then they're dead in sin. And they're put into the lake of fire. I know that's a hard truth. I know it's not popular. You're visiting for with no religious background, it probably shocks you a little bit that somebody would say that today. But that's what the book says. Over and over it says that. And it says everybody's going to be judged. Everybody you know, everybody that's too famous for you to know, everybody that's too rich for you to know, everybody's on the other side of the world, kings and presidents and potentates, and everybody's going to be judged according to what they did while they were on earth. Well, work backwards. What's that mean? It means they either chose Jesus or they didn't. It means they either picked the narrow gate or the wide gate. It means they either chose to remain dead in sin or they chose to become alive in Christ. Okay, now with that background, here's the thing that interested me most about the book. What the guy kept coming back to was, you know, okay, where are you? His student would say, well, I feel all right about that, or I know I'm saved. Well, how do you know that? Yeah, and one of the main questions was, are you in Christ? See, that's the only option. Either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. The funny thing about those two questions or two options if you ask people, I would wager, I hadn't done a complete survey, but I would imagine if you ask people, are you dead in sin? How many people would say, well, yeah, I think so? Maybe a percent, you know, just obnoxious folks, you know. <laughs> but 98%, 99% of everybody, are, am I dead in sin? Well, no. No, I'm not spiritually dead in sin. Well, then ask them why. I mean, that's what this guy did. He just kept asking this guy questions, and he had to think through it and dig through it and all that. Well, you'll get answers like I already talked about. Well, I don't feel dead in sin. Yeah, I feel like I'm living a pretty good life. Yeah, I made a decision once. I go to church pretty regular or a couple times a year at least or or something. I'm a member of the right group. I got all kinds of reasons that, no, I'm not dead in sin. I think that would be the predominant answer. But the second one is harder to answer. 
You say, well, then, if you're not dead in sin, are you alive in Christ? Well, what does that mean? Oh, now somebody's ready to study the Bible. If I'm not dead in sin, then I've got to be alive in Christ. Well, how'd you get alive in Christ? How'd that happen? Tell me how it happened. Well, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, tell you what. Between now and next week, our next study, would you just find that sinner's prayer in the Bible for me? If that's the way you get alive in Christ, would you just show me that in the Bible? Well, they'll come back and say, I can't find it. The guy in the book, he worked for weeks trying to find it. He went to other preachers. He went to places that they told him, just say the sinner's prayer. He said, where is that? Nobody could show him. See, when you have to figure out how did I get alive in Christ if I'm not dead in sin, then you've got to find a biblical answer. Because Jesus said, I'm the only way. You've got to figure out how you got into him. Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Romans chapter 6 is a, one of the many places you can find it. You might want to turn over to Romans chapter 6 and we'll just look at it make sure we get it right. Romans chapter 6, we can start at verse 3. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. How do you get into Christ, Paul? Well, all of us were baptized into Christ. Now, your feeling, your teaching, your religious group, your parents, whatever else, may have told you that baptism has nothing to do with it. But the book says that's how you get in Christ. And if you're either dead in sin or alive in Christ, it's pretty important to figure out how to get alive in Christ. And Romans goes on about that, the purpose of baptism and what it means and why and all that. And that's when it happens and that's when you're put in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you trust in that. And some people do that, make that mistake, and that's one reason that some religious groups discount baptism, because some people say, well, I got wet once, so that means I'm in Christ. They don't live like it. Six hours, days, and 23 hours, they don't live like it. Well, then maybe you just performed an act or picked a religion that you liked or did what you thought you had to do, but real baptism. Real heartfelt understanding when you dig a little bit about the Bible. That's what puts you into Christ. Now, we don't have time to talk about baptism and modes and everything else and all the questions there are about baptism. But if that isn't enough to make folks start thinking, that's what made this guy start thinking. How do I get alive in Christ? And every time you come back to some other answer that you can't find in the Bible, no matter how sincere you are about it, 
when the books are opened and he tells you, I don't think he'll tell you in these terms, but he tells you, yeah, I know you were sincere, but you were covered in witch doctor oil. You were convinced that was right. I understand that. But that's not what I told you. It's not what the book said. That's not what I wrote down very, very clearly. Okay, there's a whole lot more to explain. This is not a sermon series on salvation, but just what was stirred in my mind by reading this book, that if you just think through the basics, it really comes down to two options. Am I dead in sin or alive in Christ? If I'm not alive in Christ and can't tell you biblically how I got there, then maybe I better do something about it. Now, my guess is that the vast majority of everybody here this evening is alive in Christ. You've studied, you've dug, you've been taught, you, you understand that you've done what you ought to do, and you're confident that on the day the books are open, you'll be judged by what you did here, how you lived your life. But if there's somebody here that is not sure, after hearing this, thinks maybe I'm still dead in sin, we'd love to study with you. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you've understood it enough that you're ready to make that decision this evening, we'd be happy to help to put you into Christ, let you be saved by grace through faith. If you need to respond in any way tonight, come. Let's stand and say.